Pastor Annette was saying, we are concluding our latest series entitled Seven Letters. We've been studying the words of Jesus as dictated to the Apostle John to the seven churches that were in Asia Minor and examining their relevance to us today as a church. And these letters, as we've seen over the last several weeks, came in a timely fashion to the body of believers. Many of these churches were enduring great challenges. They were enduring challenges to their faith. They suffered consequences as, as a result of their stand for the truth. Um, some of these churches actually were impoverished because of it. Uh, there were instances of outright persecution. They were treated as social outcasts. Uh, there was even loss of opportunities because of what they believed in. They faced pressures from within their ranks, even in the church, to conform for the sake of fitting in with others. There was the pull of idol worship. And then there, were, there was just the reality that there were people that were just turning away from Christ. And so Christ had something to say that addressed all these matters for the express purpose that they would overcome and that they would learn to withstand. I want, you to, I want to encourage your faith by reminding you that God wants you to stand. God equips you to overcome. And so today, as we end this series, we'll be discussing the topic of the lukewarm church. The lukewarm church. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 14. And just for the sake of time, because literally I could spend weeks teaching just on these words right here of Jesus in these verses. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the scripture, but I am going to interpret. Uh, not I'm going to interpret. I'm going to give you the interpretation of the original language as it pertains to these words. So if you're watching on the screen or online or you're checking it out in your Bible, just know that I'm giving you the, the, uh, the uh, interpretation according to the uh, Greek. So starting in verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, says the one who stands at the end and brings it to fulfillment. Who is worthy of trust. Stand by his testimony until the very end. The originator of the creation of God. Know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are unenthusiastic. Half-hearted. Apathetic. Indifferent. And neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am abounding in resources and have become richly supplied and have no need of anyone and do not know that you are afflicted with troubles. You are to be pitied. You are destitute and at the state of one who is beggarly. You are mentally blind and stripped without proper covering. Therefore, I invite you to come into joint involvement with me to redeem from my marketplace that which is precious, which is proven and pure, and that you may be, that you may be increased and dressed with a dazzling white robe, that you may be surrounded with a covering of defense. That the shame, that the disgrace and dishonor of your stripped state may not be revealed. And smear your faculty of knowing with my ointment, my anointing which is reserved for kings and priests. 
that your eyes may be healed and you might see accurately. As many as I love, I convince and I instruct. Therefore, be hot once again and change the direction of your thoughts and beliefs. Behold, I stand at the bolted door of your heart and I knock with a heavy blow. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will seize the opportunity without delay. And I will set before him the finest banquet and we will eat together in intimacy. To him who comes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Who has an ear, let him hear. Churches. There's a lot there. But the church of Laodicea was located in a valley of in Asia Minor. Eleven miles to the north of the Ten miles to the south of it stood Colossae, which was a mountainous region. Now Hierapolis was known springs which were believed to provide a medicinal healing effect upon those who bathed in these springs. While Colossae was infamous waters which flowed from the mountain when the snow melted. And so as a result, it became a sort of resort destination in the hotter months where people went uh, in search of cooling, the cooling effect of its waters. Now, in between these two regions was Laodicea. It was a city that contained great wealth. Scholars say that there was a banking center there. It had a thriving textile industry, and it was home to a famous medical specifically dealt with eye problems. It's where they originated the use of what used to be known as Phrygian powder, which was an eye salve that was proven to heal many eye diseases. And ruins reveal, ruins that still stand to this day, reveal that it had four marketplaces, while most cities only had two marketplaces. And so they estimate that these marketplaces housed over 4,000 shops. So you can imagine how busy and bustling this, this region was. It had two stadiums, one of which was said to have the capacity to seat approximately 60,000 people. So rich were the people in this city that history records that there came a time when Rome uh, started to, take, to, to, to undertake plans to uh, repair a main road to them. And the, the uh, historians say that uh, the Laodiceans uh, told Rome, we don't need you to do it. We'll pay for ourselves. And so these people were well off. And because the people of Laodicea were so enriched and accustomed to the finer things of life, the time came when they decided that they wanted the best of both worlds offered in Hierapolis and Colossae. They wanted the hot water springs from Hierapolis, and they wanted the refreshing, cooling waters that flowed from Colossae. And so they commissioned the best engineers of their day to develop a system of transport for these waters that they might enjoy the benefits they offered while no longer having to travel to enjoy them. And so from Hierapolis, they had pipes that were made of clay that served to transport the steaming waters that promised healing. 
And from Colossae, they had exposed aqueducts that provided a flow for the, for the rushing cool waters that promised refreshment. But once these waters reached Laodicea, scholars record that the people found these waters to be lacking. By the time the refreshing waters of Colossae reached them, they had grown lukewarm due to the exposure that they endured to the sun from these open aqueducts. And by the time the hot spring waters of Hierapolis reached them, not only had they cooled off to the point of being lukewarm, they also developed a putrid taste that led many to spit out and even vomit these waters. I'll tell you why I share that with you. Because it's in that context that we come to glean understanding from the words of Christ to the church of Laodicea, and also to us in this day. See, the church of people with great wealth in Laodicea, they also reflected the people around them who had great wealth. Ruins still remain today of what used to be known as the actual gathering space for the people of Laodicea. It was 20,000 square feet flat. It's huge. And what they have is they still have remains of mosaics and, and intricate stonework. So it was a beautiful, beautiful place. The architecture was amazing. And so I want us to consider something here because it's important to note that this church, the church of Laodicea, was the only church in Asia Minor that endured no persecution, no suffering, because of their faith, and we have to question why. Why would that be the case? See, the church of Laodicea was not only situated amongst wealthy people, they were also quite wealthy themselves, and they were held in high regard because of it. And the words of Jesus provide us greater insight as to how this wealth affected them in their witness and their call to be the church in their day and in their region. In verse 17, Jesus says, because you say. So notice that they had a belief. They had an internal uh, manner of uh, thought, a process. They believed. They were telling themselves something. Listen to what he says. Because you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy. I have no need of nothing. According to the original, original language, what they're saying is, I don't need anyone. And I don't need anything. I'm good in and of myself. And he says, and you do not know that you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind and naked. So from his words, we see that their issue wasn't that they were wealthy. Their issue was that their wealth, their possessions, and their status and the status they maintained in the eyes of all those around them led them to believe that they were fine in and of themselves. So, so disillusioned were these people that they gathered regularly for their services. Listen, they practiced their devotion to Christ. They were probably rich with Christian programming for their congregants. They facilitated teaching in the name of Christ. They had ample space to accommodate anyone and everyone. And though they were enriched greatly, it left them poor. 
It left them miserable, naked, and blind to the fact, listen closely, that Jesus was among them. Let me show you from verse 20 what Jesus says. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I want you to notice that Jesus was on the outside of this church. He wasn't within the church. He wasn't among them. They were his people, but they shut him out. They shut him out. And so, as a result, Jesus provided them a sobering warning. You know, I used to think that this church was called lukewarm because they weren't hot, right? They weren't, like, passionate. They weren't on fire. Or they weren't, they weren't even cold to the point that they, they wanted nothing to do with God. I used to think that Jesus was saying, at least if you were cold, I could work with you. But that's not what he's saying at all here. That's not the understanding we get here. See, Jesus' warning indicates how far they had gone. What Jesus was really saying is, because you are no longer bringing healing, because you are no longer passionate, you are no longer hot, and he says, because you are no longer refreshed or bringing refreshment wherever you go, because you've become indifferent to what I have created you for, what I've called you to, he says, because of that, you are now like waters that have lost the effect that they promised. And he says this, and because of that, you are putrid to me, and I will spit you out. See, Jesus is saying to them, you're lukewarm. You're not doing anything. He says, there's no fervor in you and nothing refreshing about what you do. These people were enlarged with pride, with riches, with possessions, with reputation, and with religion. But they had empty hearts. This was the whole church. Everyone there. And as a result, while they preached a good message, it brought no good. People were just going through the motions. And ultimately, these people became self-absorbed and lived for self-indulgence. So the scriptures record a moment when a man came to Jesus in a great need for answers. And Mark 10 records that so great was this man's need that he fell at the knees of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus on his knees. And he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And the scripture says that Jesus responds to him, you know the law. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, honor your father and your mother. He gives him the law and the young man responds to Jesus. He says, I've done all of these since I was a youth. Since I've been a little kid, I've been doing this. What still do I lack, he asked. And upon hearing Jesus' response, this man, the scripture says, went away sorrowful. You see, Jesus responded to him and said to him, well, sell all that you have and give to the poor. Give to those in need among you. He didn't tell him to give it all away. He told him, sell all you have and be, uh, be uh, resourceful. Use it. 
to advance the kingdom's efforts. Be a part of what I'm doing. And so this guy goes away sorrowful because he had many possessions, the scripture says. See, he had the appearance of godliness. He had the heart to seek God. He had a discipline to follow rules. But he was captivated by possessions that produced only sorrow in his life. Listen, this man had such a deference to his riches and his possessions that he grew indifferent to Christ. Indifference is the distinct characteristic of a life marked by lukewarmness. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You're not hot, you're not cold. Now, mind you, Jesus is talking to people who were known amongst everyone around them as believers. They went to church. They read the word. They probably joined a micro group. Right? They sang songs. But listen, it was going through the motions. There was no passion. They were unmoved. They were unchanged. Listen closely. They heard the truth, and it did nothing for them. It stirred nothing in them. It caused no inward reflection. It caused no change. Can I, can I, can I give you a newsflash? What's the point of hearing the truth if the truth doesn't impact you? If all we do is hear the truth, but it stirs nothing within us, it doesn't lead us to a point of application. If, oh, I got that. Yep, I'm good. I'm good. That's what they said. And Jesus says, you're poor. You're naked. You're blind. See, Mark 10, 23 records, starting at verse 23, records Jesus' comment to the disciples after this young man went away. It says that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. He's not just talking about material wealth, ladies and gentlemen. He's talking about anything that we place value on. Right? And so the disciples were astonished at his words. You know why? Because everyone values something. Isn't that true? We all value something. And so he says, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is, listen to this, for those who trust in their riches, who trust in what they value. In other words, you, you look to that thing, that person, that something more than you do to God. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Listen, this man had become so indifferent that while knowing what Jesus commanded him was true and necessary, he walked away. He walked away. He walked away. He wasn't even sad at the fact that he was walking away from Jesus. He was sad that God commanded him to walk away from that which he valued above God. And you know what he valued above God? If the, see, the wealth was just the tool. He valued himself. Let me tell you something. If you're still waiting on God for you to make a move for, to what God is calling you to, you're wasting time. God's waiting on you. God's calling you to move forward, to take a step. 
Stop waiting for confirmation. How much more confirmation do you need than what God already spoke to your heart? So, there's some signs that we can identify of a lukewarm person from this example. The first one that I want to share with you is that you're comfortable with being known as a believer as long as you don't have to believe. That's a lukewarm person. You're comfortable with being known as a believer as long as you, as long as you don't have to believe what Christ says. The second example I want to give you, the se second thing I want to note from this young man's experience with Jesus is that you're comfortable with seeking Christ as long as you don't have to follow him. You're comfortable with seeking Christ as long as you don't have to follow him anywhere. The third thing I want to share with you that we note from this is that you're comfortable in what you know the Bible says. He was comfortable in knowing what the scriptures told him as long as you don't have to do it. And the last thing that we note here is that your life is so full that you push out Christ. There's always something more important. Can I tell you that if you have an excuse, whatever that excuse may draw you to, that takes you from what God is calling you to do, that excuse will lead you to your demise. And here's the reality that we have to face in that regard. If that's where we are, we are valuing something more than what God says. Let me take it a step further. We're valuing something more than God. That's all leading you to a place of lukewarmness. You become indifferent. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to talk to you just some simple things about overcoming and avoiding a lukewarm life. And the first one that I want to share with you is that we become lukewarm when we cease to live with an awareness of our need for Christ. I'm going to say that again. We become lukewarm when we cease to live with an awareness of our need for Christ. Let's leave that point up there for a moment. Of all the churches in Asia Minor, the one that was worst off was the one which held the appearance of being best off. Look at what God has done. Oh my God, this place is amazing. Look how much we have in the bank. Look how many resources we have. Oh, my God, look, we're just so well off. We're accepted by everyone. They suffered no persecution. They freely worshipped. They were accepted by the world around them. They spoke openly of Christ. See, to them, it appeared that they were good, but it was really bad. And Jesus reveals what they came to believe. In verse 17, again, he says, you say, I am rich. I'm abounding in resources. You say, I have become wealthy. I'm richly supplied. You say, I have need of nothing. You have need of nothing and no one. 
these people were disillusioned greatly. So much so that they didn't even realize their need for Christ. I liken it to a broken arm. You have a broken arm? I've never broken one. I never will break one. That's my confession. I'm standing on it, and amen. So be it. But listen, I liken it to a broken arm. An arm by design is meant to draw strength from all the ligaments, all the muscles, all the bones attached to it. But when it is broken, it's put into a cast. And its awareness and its dependence shifts from those ligaments, those muscles, those bones to the cast. As a result, the bone heals. But when you reveal the arm after taking off the cast, what you find is that the arm is apathetic. It's weakened. It's lost mass. It's tender. And this is how you grow to become indifferent to Christ. You slowly learn to depend and draw strength from outer sources for the sake of what you think is your healing. Your strength. Your power. But in reality, you're evolving into a state of weakness. You become unaware of your need for Christ. Because after all, what I want is being supplied by everything else around me. You see the danger in that? And so, the surest way to grow indifferent is to miss God, the power in God's word in your life. I'm going to say that again. The surest way to grow indifferent is to miss the power of God's word in your life. How many of you read your Bible? A few of you. Okay. Let me, let me say something to you. Many of us, there are people that, that this is the lie we buy into. You know, I don't, I, 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 I find it hard to read the Bible. Let me, let me show you what you really find hard to do. John 15, we're going to read verses 4 and 7. In verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What does he mean, abide in me? What is he talking about abiding? The word abide there means to remain, to cling, to stay, to draw from. In verse 7, he clarifies what abiding in him means. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Watch this. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. What I want you to see is that your Bible is not a book. Your Bible is a revelation of God. And the more you are in your word, the more you are spending time in the word, the more you are gleaning from the word, what you are doing is setting yourself up for great things. Why? Because you are remaining dependent upon God's word. And as you are remaining dependent on his word, guess what begins to happen? You discover how much he's abiding in you. You begin to hear the voice of God. You begin to understand the leading for your life. You begin to see greater things ahead. You begin to discover who you are in Christ and what you've been called to. 
Listen, you'll abide in Christ when you make room for his words to abide in you. Let me remind you of the words of Jesus. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Don't expect anything from God's word where God's word hasn't been sown first into your life. The second thing I'm going to share with you today is that we become lukewarm when we turn to people for a life that is not theirs to give. I'm going to say that again. We become lukewarm when we turn to people for a life that is not theirs to give. Now, I guarantee you that upon hearing that statement, many of you words times when maybe you trusted in people instead of Christ, thinking about someone you've put in place of Christ in your life. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. You should do that. You should, you should look outward. But there is one person that most of us are likely to never consider as it pertains to this point. Guess who that is? It's the person named you. Now, listen, the Laodiceans became so self-absorbed, they were so self-absorbed that they shifted their trust from Christ to a trust in themselves. And so deceived were these people that they didn't even realize the truth about their trust. Let me point you back to verse 17 again. He says, you do not know that you are wretched, that you are afflicted with troubles, that you are miserable to be pitied, that you are poor, that you are destitute and in a state of one who is beggarly. He says that you are blind mentally in your heart. You can't see and that you're naked, you're stripped without proper covering. You know, this didn't just start with the people of Laodicea. This started at the very beginning of time. and Eve put a trust in themselves. All we have to do is eat from this fruit and we'll be like God. They were already like God. They eat of the lie. That's what they partook of. And then all of a sudden, they realize that they're stripped. Let me tell you something. The moment you begin to depend upon yourself, your resources, your agendas, your plans, your ideas, I want you to see what happens. While it gives you the appearance of everything that's good in your results, Jesus says, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. If you ever want to test where your trust lies, just ask yourself this question. Who do I turn to when I find myself in need? Now, I know what many of you just said to yourselves in your thought process. You said, I turn to God. I pray to God. I look to his word. But let me ask you, do you stay there? Do you stay there long enough to draw what you need from him? Or do you go about trying to help God to get you what you want? You haven't been there? I know I've been there. 
God, here's my need. Let me help you, God. Let me help you out. Let, let, me, let me help you along because you need some help. You know what's happened every single time I've done that? It has blown up in my face. Every single time. Every single time. And so it's for this reason that Jesus tells the Laodiceans and us in verse 18, he says, I counsel you. Literally what he's saying is, I invite you to come into this place of counsel where there's joint involvement with me and you. He says, I counsel you to buy from me, to redeem from my marketplace precious things. Listen, people cannot, possessions cannot, and you and I cannot provide the precious things that God provides us through Christ. And if you're still in this place where you are depending upon yourself, let me point you to what the scripture says in Jeremiah 17, verses 5 and 6. It says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and a salt land which is not inhabited. You know, it's one thing that plants can't do. They can't grow with salt water. It'll kill them. I want you to get the imagery here. Now, here's the good news. Christ became a curse for you and I on the cross so that we would become the righteousness righteousness of God. That's what the scripture tells us. But here's the thing. In light of that, here's what we have to accept, that we do not belong in a place where what we reap is based on trust in ourselves. I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Repent. Turn around. Don't just turn your feet. Turn your beliefs. Turn the thoughts around. Do whatever you have to do. Turn around. The last point that I want to leave you with here is that we cease to be lukewarm when we make the choice to open our eyes and see. I'm going to say that again. We cease to be lukewarm when we make the choice to open our eyes and see. You know, the reality is that no believer comes to the place of indifference to Christ without choosing to. It's a series of small choices. This is more important. I'll do that another time. Oh, I'm good right where I'm at. Oh, I'll just call this person. Oh, I'll just turn to my prayer warriors. You pray. So I don't have to pray. My confidence is in your prayer, not in God. See, the little choices that we make condition us slowly to the point that we replace our love for Christ with a love for people, with a love for things, with a love for life. My life, my life, my life, my life in the sunshine. That was in the 
key of Q. That was a lot funnier in my head. But anyway, let me, let me, let, let me, let me, let me wrap this up. The church of Laodicea started off as a place of healing and refreshment. That's where we all begin. We fall so in love with Christ that we can't help but be a light. We can't help but jump in. We can't help but position ourselves to be used in the kingdom. We can't help but to give and to serve and to do for the kingdom, not because we feel obligated to, but because it's my joy too, because I'm passionate, because I'm burning with a desire, with a love for God and a love for people and a love for his kingdom purposes. The church of Laodicea, like you and me, started off in that place. They brought healing. They brought refreshment. They were passionate. But over time, their choices slowly diminished and sapped the life and power of Christ in their life. I feel like somebody needs to hear this. If you would just turn around and make the choice to go back to your first love, to change. I know what somebody's thinking right now, well, what do I need to change? Well, what overwhelms your thoughts in your mind, in your, in your time? It's time to cut some things out. It's time to reorganize the priorities of life. Chasing money, chasing people. Let me ask you a question. Where has it gotten you? You may have them. You may have it. But if you have it, then why are you still pursuing it? See, it doesn't fulfill us. It's not what life is about. And so in verse 18, Jesus says something very interesting about this choice. He says, I counsel you, and then he goes on to say, I anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. See, these people in Laodicea, they understood about the importance of eyes, so much so that they had a medical school among them. A great medical school. People came from far and wide to come learn there, to be schooled there. They understood the importance of sight. They understood what it was to apply Phrygian powder to your eyes and see. And so Jesus is speaking directly to his people in this context and he says, smear your understanding, the place of knowing, the place of belief, with my anointing power, that which I've reserved for my people, that which I place on kings and priests, that they might be used of me. Don't you know that the scripture says that you are a royal priesthood, that you are a chosen people, that you are a holy nation. You have this anointing. And Jesus says this, smear it upon your understanding. Smear it upon the place of belief in your heart that you might be healed and you might see accurately. Let's stand here.
He says to us all, you must apply the healing that I offer you in relationship with me. You must. You must apply it to your heart. You must apply it to your understanding. Not only must you apply it, you must replace everything with it. You know, every letter written to the churches in Asia Minor had one purpose. One purpose and one purpose only. It was that God's people would stand in the face of all that challenged their faith. And that they would boldly advance what God had called them to. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a world, a system in this world that presses against all that we believe. Listen, there's a lot happening right now. The threats are now be, are becoming real to the church. You should go check out for yourself what this new policy uh, that they're trying to push HR1 is going to do for the church, for people of faith. You should begin to see what these uh, policies on equality are beginning to do. They're already changing the signs in bathrooms. They're already removing books. And what we're doing is under the banner of unity, we're discriminating against people. That's what we're being told to do. We victimize one group of people, and what we do is we create another victim and another where now they're being attacked. They're openly being hated. You're being put down. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not Christ-like. It is ungodly. It is not the way of the kingdom. And so I say to you, and I'm going to tell you why I bring this up. Because too many believers today have become indifferent, not just to the word, but they've become indifferent to the world. Do what you want. I'll follow, master. We are succumbing to the ways of the world. And I'm putting everyone on notice, not here at Church at the Bridge. We will teach the word without compromise. We will stand upon the truth. We will withstand whatever comes our way. Let it be known, not, not only here, online, whoever watches this, we will not bend the knee. We will teach you the word. And we will point you to the truth. It's time to stir up the gift within you. It's time to stand and withstand. It's time to dare to be what the, what the Word of God calls us to. Different. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that He spoke to you powerfully, and that He met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.